the 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 other thing I, I also want to pray for um, the grants. Um, uh, Twyla's mom is in a nursing home up in Haver, and uh, this morning she they couldn't get her to wake up, and so she just got a call about that during worship, and she and and the family left to go up there and be with her mother. You're still attached, um, and and so um, if we could take a moment also to pray for the grants that um, um, you know the the that. Uh, they would um, things would work out, but also that they would find comfort in in, in um, just trusting in God in this situation. And so let's uh, let's pray, uh, Heavenly Father. I pray that you would be with us this morning and help us to um, help us to focus on you, Lord, above all else. Um, I pray that uh, we would put everything aside, uh, um, you know, everything that draws our attention away from you, Lord, and that we would just come into your presence and and um, just know you intimately this morning. Um, we raise up to you, uh, uh, Twyla, and, and, and ask that you would be with her as she uh, um, heads up to have her to, to be with her mother. I pray that um, you would, uh, um, just that it would work out, Lord, um, and that that um, you would give them comfort through the whole uh, ordeal, Lord, that you would bring them peace and that you would help them to, to rest in you and to lean on you in, in all things. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, now i got to switch. I, I years and years of preaching in different venues, and I, I just could not, cannot get comfortable with anything heavier than a music stand. I don't know what that's about. Um, the uh, we have a potluck today. Y'all are aware of this, right? Yeah. Oh, I know the guys are. Right? <laughs> I expected an amen chorus from them when I when I said that. Um, can y'all hear me? Okay. Do I need to turn the speakers around here? I'm, are they all right? Um, so, um, as we, as we dive in today, I, I, I actually, yesterday we, we, we had a cooking day at my house. I spent the whole day barbecuing and, and my wife, um, did cupcakes with our, with our kids. And it's, it's very fun to watch the, the baking process with children. Um, it, it just is not so much to yesterday, but it, it is actually very fun to watch because Abby, you know, she helps. But, but she's three, and most of her helping involves, you know, her picking up things and eating them and getting her hands washed 30 or 40 times every, every 10 minutes. Um, so the cookies or the cupcakes are clean. Don't worry. Um, but but um, the best part, and actually growing up was my favorite part of, of whenever cooking happened at our house, was, was when the, uh, the egg beater was done. You know what I'm talking about, right? Do I have pictures? Yes, I do. Um, and... And, and actually, the downside of having two children is our beater only has two spinners, and so someone gets left out. I did not get the ball. I, <laughs> I did not get the ball, as a matter of fact. I did get the spatula, but the spatula is not as good as the beater because the beater has like, like stuff like stuck in little areas, and you can kind of, oh, it's great. And, and I, I took pictures of Titus. Because he's, you know, he's obviously he's one, right? And so he, he starts in on this. And he was clean because he came from the Bitz's house. And I'm betting he had a bath either this morning or last night. Um, which, yeah, pretty much. Um, or that morning or the previous evening. And, and so he comes home and he's clean. And my wife gives him this, this beater. And, and it took him about two seconds before he looked like this. Right, and he he was covered in it, and it was in his hair. I don't know. He was wearing the onesie pajama. He still had it all over his belly. I don't know how that happens. Um, 
I got several pictures. And then, so the next step then was the Sunday, the Saturday morning bath, which we always do. And, and, um, he managed to sit in that tub for about 20 minutes. And, and at the 20 minute mark, I took that picture and he still had chocolate on his face. Like, <laughs> for, for a child who somehow managed to cover himself with chocolate, like, batter, that he, he could not manage to get water in the same place, like, is astonishing. And I think this much was because his sister thought that the bubbles were cool, and so she kept putting bubbles on him, you know, and I think that caused the... And, and there's actually an... I, I didn't take an after picture, you know, like, like because he started out covered in, you know, in, in frosting and batter, and then, then he, he's partially cleaned up here. There's a little less, and then actually about... Um, two minutes after this, I got a phone call, like a work call, and I had to pull the kids out of the tub and run out the door. Um, and so there would be a last photo where, where he's completely clean, right? Because, because it's this process, right? And anybody who's ever washed children, you know, you know that, that it's a process, right? You, you start out with the, the huge mess and it progressively gets cleaner and then you have a clean child for about two seconds and then, you know, (laughs) then you let go of them and they're instantly messy again. Um. I, I, did he get peanut butter frosting? Did he get another bath? Um, we're we're going to be in the book of Titus, coincidentally. Um, I did that on purpose. It, uh, <laughs> we're going to be in the book of Titus today. And um, um, this is actually, I, I, I talked about Titus two weeks ago as, as one of the last sermons in our, our series on discipleship. And and we're going to look at the last chapter of Titus. This is Titus 3. If you've got a Bible, you can open to it. It'll be on the screen otherwise. Um, and, and what's going on in Titus? Um, we're going to be looking at um, Paul's writing to this pastor, Pastor Titus. Um, and and he, he sort of touches on the process that God takes us through, where we go from being you know, in the world and, and we cover ourselves with mess, right? Has anybody done that in your life, by the way? Where you started out and you were doing all right, and then like before you know it, you were you're up to your elbows in in your own disaster, and you're you're covered in it, and it seems like you're never going to get away, and nothing's ever going to be right again. Um, Paul Paul addresses that, and and he talks about the process that God puts us through to clean us up and make us right again, and that's actually in chapter three. It's what we're going to be looking at, um, and and just literally this process of cleaning up that God puts us through. Um, Titus. Uh, was an enforcer pastor for Paul. What just happened? <laughs> You're playing video games, aren't you? Um, <laughs> Titus was kind of an enforcer pastor for, for Paul. Whenever he had a troubled church, he would send Titus, right? Because Titus was like had a strong personality, and he, he tended to not get pushed around real easy. And so, so that was the job that Titus tended to have. And, and in this case, he went to Crete, which is an island in Greece, um, and, and while he was there, this church was having huge trouble because there was lots of cultural upheaval at the time. Um, Greek culture was going through a huge change at this period in history where people were like deciding, well, the old rules and the old ways of living don't count anymore, so we can do whatever we want. And so you had these folks like you had, you know, um, where, where husbands suddenly decide, well, I'm free to do whatever I want, and so I'm going to have lots of girlfriends on the side. And, and women were doing the same thing. They said, well, you know, this marriage thing's pretty cool, but I think I can date too. And so there was a lot of this, like, like you know, social um, sort of disintegration going on. There were a couple of other things, but it was all centered around this idea of I can do whatever I want because I'm free. Um, and, and 
Christians, like because the Christian message is about freedom from sin and freedom in Christ, they started hearing this and thinking, well, wait a minute. This, this sounds like a lot like what we were doing. It's, there were some teachers that started like stepping out of the ranks in, in this church in Crete and saying, well, because we're free in Jesus, go do whatever you want. And, and so Paul sends Titus to kind of, kind of clean house and, and, he writes him this letter after a little while, like after he'd been pastoring there for a bit. And so that's what we're jumping into. Um, Titus 2, the previous chapter, just for context. Um, we, we did a sermon on that a couple weeks ago. If you want to listen to it, it's on sermon.net slash patching cracks. It's also in the bulletin if you need the address. Um, but it's a, it's a moral code, like a, like a household code. It was a list of, chapter 2 is just a list of, if you were a husband, this is how you behave. If you are a wife, this is how you behave. If you are, you know, in whatever status, these, this is the life that, that we're called to live. And so Paul jumps in, and he actually, in the beginning of the chapter, because um, all of the previous stuff related to within the church and within the context of how do you behave as Christians, like, to, you know, to reflect the gospel. Um, mouth was getting dry. Um, and so... In chapter 3, the first part of this, he shifts and he talks about how you act in relation to the world around you. And we're going to go through these verses kind of quick because they're not the meat of what we're looking at, but they're important. Um, Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Um, So Paul talks about this is how you behave in your life you know, within the church. And then he says, listen, when you go out into the world, when you leave the church, your job is to act right in relation to, you know, in relation to everything. You know, it's not just obey the laws. It's because he starts out there. He says, remind them. And this is in kind of the imperative tense. Like, so it means keep reminding them (laughs) um, that, that when they go out, they're subject to the rulers and to the authorities meaning the government is there, and, and Paul wasn't interested in helping these people overthrow the Romans or anything like that. His, his rule was, listen, you need to tell people about Jesus, and you need to reflect Jesus, and this is your job. And so um, part of being subject there was to show a good example, because if, if Christians were very volatile, um, it would have created problems, and ultimately, actually, in the Roman Empire, it did. Be, not because Christians were volatile, but because they refused to participate in public worship of pagan gods, and so they they like were persecuted for that. Like in in actually about forty years after this book was written, that that sort of thing started kicking off and started happening everywhere. Um, and so Paul says, "Listen, be obedient, do what you need to do, um, be ready for every good deed." So it's not just um, not just submit, but it's also do the right thing, do the right thing, do the right thing. Malign no one. You don't trash talk folks. Be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Um, this is important, but we're not going to dwell on it too much, so we're going to shift. So he starts out, this is how you act in relation to the world. Don't be a jerk. Reflect Jesus, etc. Everybody with me? Okay, nobody's asleep yet. I'll, I'll have Eric sound the horn again. Uh, uh, Titus 3.3. 3. Um, now here's, Paul writes a very long sentence here. And that's the awesome thing about Paul, Paul is that Paul is 
Paul is brilliant, and he has a really strong grasp of the Greek language. And so sometimes he'll write, like, a sentence that goes on five pages. And, and in order to properly grasp it, you have to kind of understand how Greek words work together. In this instance, he writes a, a sentence that's about three verses long. It's not short at all. Um, but he presents a single standalone argument. Um, and he starts off with, for we also... Now we're going to hit pause there. Gosh, he's going to move this slow. We're never going to eat lunch. Um, <laughs> for we also were once, now, um, or once were. So he says, listen, you folks, you know, when you interact with the world, when you interact with folks who aren't believers, you need to understand, like, you don't get to stand up and think I'm better than you. I, I, you don't get to look at everybody else and, and, you know, dump on them and say, oh, they're all so horrible and bad and everything else. Why? Because we were there too, Right. Um, have any of y'all ever met church folks like that? I'm going to hit, don't point. Um, but, but have y'all ever met church folks like that, that like everyone they encounter, it's like, oh, you know how much better I am than that guy? Or you know how pagan that guy is? I'm, you know, it, it, Paul says, listen, don't, don't get on your high horse because you were once foolish. Um, he starts presenting a list of things that are sort of negative attributes that these believers in Crete like were once subject to. Okay, And so he says, listen, you were once lost. You were once someone who didn't know Jesus. And he starts off by saying that this was, you were foolish because of it. The word foolish has lost its meaning in modern language. In the ancient world, what it referred to was um, you were ignorant of God or you did not know God at all. right? And so he says, listen, you were once folks that didn't know God. You were once folks that, that had no relationship and no connection to God. right? You were separate and, and divided away. Um, actually, there are three categories that are, that are presented here, um, this, this you know, falseness, this brokenness that the, the believers were, were in. And the first one was ignorance of God, which is foolishness. The second half of it is slavery to sin. Um, so he says, um, foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. Um, disobedient and deceived refers to the fact that, like, um, these were folks that, that they didn't know who God was. And because of that, they, first off, didn't obey God's law. And sometimes they would look and say, the way these folks are living is dumb. I'm better off doing, you know, doing this. I, I need to chase after what feels good for me. Um, I almost used a video clip this morning, and I'm going to reference it now. I should have just but, – but from a, a church in, in Houston – um, where a certain uh, mega church pastor, his wife, does this talk, and she says, "Well, you're here to worship God, not for God, but so that you can feel." No, I'm not. I'm not showing it. Um, but so that you can feel happy. Everything we do at church is so that you can feel happy and better. And and it's really not reflective of what the scriptures teaches. But it's a it's a deception, is what it is. It's a deception to believe that everything is about us, right? And so Paul says, listen, you used to be in this place, first off, where you were foolish, and secondly, where you disobeyed God and you, you, you were deceived about what the right way to be was. You chase after things that were not about Jesus. You were, you were chasing after things that were, were feeding your lusts and pleasures. Now, in our culture, we tend to read this as this, like, kind of carnal thing. I don't, I don't know if we have kids in the room. I'll be careful how I say this. Like, like it's sort of a, um, oh, Lust is in like 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 sexual or whatever. It, it's not just that. Um, the way that this is phrased and the words that are used, um, 
the best way to understand it is Paul is saying, listen, you were, you were enslaved to like these pleasures or these things that you did to feed your own self. And this could be anything. Like I, uh, I uh, spent years working with young folks who, who would become addicted to various you know, substances, right? Like, like, and, and they became enslaved to them. You would see these folks that, that would do just you know, shameful stuff. And, and actually, one of the most telling experiences I ever had, I was sitting in a group of kids. It was when I first started working with addicts. And, and the one guy said, have any of you all ever done anything that you said you would never do in the name of getting high? And, and it went around the room, like one guy after another. You know, I, I stole from my parents. I, um, I, you know, I did this, I did that. Um, you know, and, and these folks would put this out there. Well, these are the things I did, and I wasn't proud of it, but I did it because I needed, I needed this. And lots of folks live in that. Like, this actually kind of goes across the board. There are things that we do to chase after things that we become enslaved to. Folks sometimes lie to themselves. Or, or they, they make it okay that they're doing something that's not right. Um, um, you, know, you see this a lot with, with men who, who you know, view pornography. You see this where guys will say, well, it's not really cheating and nobody gets hurt by it and you know, all of this other stuff. And like, there's sort of this guilt attached to it, but you know, we've got to come up with ways to make it okay. And, and it can become this enslaving thing. Um, I came from a community in Indiana where it was a very wealthy community. And, and everybody, like, you would go from place to place. And I would visit kids because I was a youth pastor, and you'd come into a house where it was like a $400,000 house, and they owned new cars every year. They would trade in their car and get a brand new one every year, and they didn't have any furniture. <laughs> you'd come in and like, well, you know, you, know, you wouldn't want to say I ha- you have no furniture, but they'd want to explain, well, it's a very expensive house, and we couldn't really afford the couch, and we couldn't afford. And you start talking to folks, and you figure out that, like, they were so spendy. They were so living beyond their means that they couldn't, like, like you know, if they, if they missed one paycheck, they'd be homeless. You know, and the car would be repossessed, and their credit cards are all maxed out and everything else. That's somebody who's living enslaved to, to consumption, really, right? i got to have what i got to have. And it's easy to end up there, right? Because it feels good to get nice things, right? It feels better to have a nice car than it does to have a crummy car. And it's easy to become enslaved to those things, to get to this point where, like, you don't get to control the ship anymore because what you want is leading the way. What you want to have or what you want to do or how you want to do it is the primary decision maker. And that's slavery. Like, you are a slave if you are not in charge, Right, um, and so what? What Paul says here? Listen, you're enslaved to lusts and pleasures, and you deceived yourself. You lied to yourself to get you there. You you disobeyed God's laws. You you did what you wanted. And then there's this third category here, actually, because I'm doing category right: slavery to sin. And then the final one actually is when we live this way, it becomes destructive to, to our our interactions and our connections and our relationships. Like sin has this tendency; it destroys everything it comes into contact with. Um, it was one of the things I learned working with addicts, right? If you meet an addict, you're going to meet somebody who will damage everybody they come near in the name of getting what they want, right? And, and it, they kind of wreak destruction everywhere they go, and it's, it's sad. It's sad for everyone involved. Um, spending our lives um, in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Um, what he's talking about here is this tendency um, – Amongst folks, if I'm the center of the world and you cross me, we're going to have a problem, right? 
That's Abby's going through that phase right now because three-year-olds are the center of the universe. It's true, isn't it? Like, they, they just are. If you do something that she doesn't like, she's going to throw a fit. Um, she, she kicked me the other day because I did something that, that she didn't like, and that, that didn't work out for her. Um, but, but it's this sort of attitude of, like, it's all about me, right? But, and, and it's silly when we talk about it with a three-year-old. I'm willing to bet, do any of y'all know anybody who's an adult and acts that way? You do something I don't like, and, and there's going to be a problem. Or you say something I don't like, and, and you know, it's on, and it's going to be on until I'm done winning. Like, like, it's this tendency. Sin grabs a hold of us, and when we become the center of the universe, we become enslaved to that, um, and we destroy. Like, we damage. We, we look at other people. We see their nicer car, and we think, I should have that. Or we see the, the prettier wife next door. I don't do that because my wife's the prettiest wife I know. Um, but, but we see the pretty wife next door, and we think, I should have a wife like that. Or I should have this. Or, you know, we, we become just unpleasant. And it pulls us down into sin. It pulls us down into this, like, destructive cycle. Um, and, and so Paul starts out, he says, listen, don't get all uppity because this is you. You know, there was a point in time in your life where this is you. Some of you all are, are able to sit here and look back and say, oh, I remember that. Right? Um, some of you all are sitting here and you're like, wait a minute, this is sort of me now. Um, and, and it's a reality that sin affects everybody. Nobody gets away from it, right? Believers don't get away from it. Anybody you meet who pretends to be perfect, they're putting on a front, and that's the truth. Um, I've known Christians who, who swear they never sin, and I, I would not want to stand next to that guy in line when we stand before God because I don't, I don't want to see the surprise on his face. Um, the reality is that sin affects us all, and we can't escape it. Um, so Paul transitions and he says look you were once that way but we've got to love the the when the word but shows up right because he starts presenting the positive end of things but when the kindness of god our savior and his love for mankind appeared now the two words there kindness and love um paul is is playing a rhetorical trick here like a word trick that is out of context in our culture like it doesn't make any sense to us in ancient Greece, your leader, your king, or your authority over you would have these characteristics. This was the assumption that you're like the top of the chain guy should be kind, he should be loving, he should have all of these qualities, and it was not expected of everyone else, right? <laughs> they had a higher standard for their politicians than we do for ourselves, right? I, there's a joke there, I'm not going to make it. Um, <laughs> just fill in the blank. <laughs> Paul says, listen, our God, right, our God has these qualities. So he's drawing a parallel to the Greek leaders, right? And the way this is phrased, it's kind of an obvious thing to them. It's not obvious to us because we're not Greeks and we're not ancient. We don't have a king and all that other stuff. Um, but, but our God is kind and he loves us, right? But he has this list of things we're supposed to be doing before he starts this, like, sentence, right? And that's... Obey authorities, don't gossip, don't trash talk your neighbors, don't mistreat folks, act, act right. And what does it take to do those things? Really hard work on our part? No, because if I work really hard and still hate my neighbor, I'm not going to treat them right. <laughs> Have any of y'all tried that, where you tried to do right by somebody that you couldn't stand and you couldn't help but say nasty things about them sometimes because you, you just didn't like them? Don't point. Um, it's an easy place to end up. It takes kindness and love. It takes these qualities of God in individuals, 
like in order to live this way. Um, to kind of put it in context of Titus, my son, not the... Titus is covered in frosting at one point, right? He is a, an absolute mess. I think it's lunchtime. Um, <laughs> he is an absolute mess. And, and that absolute mess is going to stick with him unless, unless he gets washed, right? Unless he gets cleaned up. Um, we all live in this absolute mess, and God cleans us up. Um, and we stay clean by adopting these qualities that God demonstrates for us. He looks at us sinful. He looks at us rebellious. He looks at us angry, mean, horrible. And he shows kindness that we don't deserve. Um, and he loves us. And how does he demonstrate that? He saves us. Um, this is verse 5. He saved us not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness. And so pause there. God saves us from our sin. He literally takes us and washes us up like Titus washed up in the bathtub, right? Only when God washes us, we stay clean. Um, when God washes us, we can't get out of the tub and open up the peanut butter jar and go to town, right? Like God washes us, he cleans us. And in some ways, it's a lifelong process where God cleans us from our sin, but then we spend the rest of our lives like, all right, I got this I got to take care of, and I got this I got to take care of. And he helps us overcome that stuff. He helps us overcome the effects of our sin. Um, but grace and forgiveness is instant out of the gate. If you belong to Christ, if you are somebody who is a follower of Christ, you're forgiven, period. No discussion after that. And then you spend your life overcoming, and you spend your life becoming like Jesus and taking on that loving like kindness and that loving nature of God. Um, but he doesn't do it based on how awesome we are. Um, we cannot work hard enough to earn forgiveness, Right? Um, we cannot work hard enough to get a gift. Um, it was Trent, it's, Trenton's not here today. I can't even pick on him. It's not even right. Um, I just let him know. Um, it's Trenton Butler, who, who's sometimes here. It's his birthday this weekend, and his request was, I want 20 gifts. <laughs> and I, I went to the party, and some of those 20 gifts were ballpoint pens. <laughs> but he got, it's true, isn't it? <laughs> he wanted 20 gifts. Does Trenton do anything to deserve 20 gifts? Well, if he does do things to deserve, thank you. <laughs> He's getting owned over here. <laughs> if Trenton does good things and we give him stuff, they're not gifts, right? Nope, they're not. I don't get gifts from the church. I get paid, right? If I stop showing up to work and I, well, all right, I got to be careful what I say. <laughs> If I stop showing up to work um, and, and they continue to pay me, then it becomes a gift, right? Um, if, I go to, if I go to the neighbor kid and I say, if you mow my lawn, I will give you a gift of $10. It's not a gift. <laughs> it's wages. Um, what, God is, what Paul is saying here is God does not give us grace. He does not forgive us on the basis of how awesome you are, right? How good you behave. You cannot earn forgiveness. God forgives us because Jesus died for us and because he loves us. After that, we pursue right behavior, not because we're trying to earn heaven, not because we're trying to, like, like you know, oh, if I just get enough good stuff on my pile, I'll get to go into heaven. And, you know, when you show up at the gates, Peter will be there and he'll have a scale and all of your bad stuff on one side and all your good stuff on the other. And you see it and you're like, well, heck, I can't believe I didn't do that. Well, he's like, oh, that was a nasty thing to say. Oh, you're going to hell now, you know. 
It's not, it's not like that. Grace and forgiveness is given freely, and it's, it's, it's instant and complete. After that, we spend our lives trying to become like Jesus. But forgiveness and grace, all we have to do is like, like come under Christ's lordship, meaning he's the boss, we follow, we're forgiven, period. Um, so not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, meaning you can't do good stuff, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Um, by the washing, okay, refers to literally washing, right? But regeneration and renewing um, is sort of an interesting phrase, and the way that this is lined up is sort of difficult to understand. Um, it, it's important to understand, like, like here's the summary, um, if I am in Christ, if I've decided to follow Jesus, if I realize that I'm covered in sin and I need help and I need to be forgiven, um, and I begin to follow him, I am, um, I receive this washing, which makes me into a new person, right? Am I standing on the microphone? Um, it makes me into this new person. It would be like I toss Titus in the bathtub, wash him up, pull him out, and I've got a new baby, Right? Um, and he, sometimes he looks brand new when you take him out of the tub because he was so dirty before. But, but in reality, what happens is if we are washed by the Holy Spirit, when Jesus dies for us, when we are covered by the blood of Christ, like forgiven because he's taken punishment for our sins, when that happens, we literally become brand new. It's like hitting the reset button or, um, you know, or, or replacing something that's broken with something that's... Have any of y'all ever gotten a new car after driving something that, that was horrible? I, I remember I had a car that, that leaked so bad there was always standing water. And when it finally died out on me, it caught fire. Um, it broke down so much the tow truck drivers knew where I lived without asking. Like, <laughs> I'm not making that up. Um, and I remember I, I, I got rid of that car. It was a GM, and I, got, and I got a new car. It was a Ford. And amazingly, it was so much better than my GM. Um, that was a joke. Did I get a Honda? Oh, no wonder it was such a good car. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have to duck out the side. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure Ross is going to protect me on this one either. <laughs> um, but it was so much better. It was like getting something brand new. I mean, that's like what we're talking about here. It's not fixing up the old broken you. It's making you into a new you, right? And very slowly, that new you becomes a reality in your life. Um, that's what this renewing and regeneration, it means brand new you because Jesus died for your sins and the Holy Spirit makes you new in the name of that sacrifice. Um, whom, this is the, still not the sentence, this isn't over yet. Whom he poured out upon us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior. Meaning, the only reason God pours it out on us is because Jesus, God's Son, comes to earth, is tortured to death, and takes punishment for the sins you commit. So when you do something wrong, Jesus is punished for. Everybody with me? The word there is propitiation. That's the theological word. It means that Jesus, like, literally took punishment in our place. And because he does that, God says, you know what? If you're in Christ, I'm going to go ahead and pour this Holy Spirit on you, and you're made new. Brand new. I had somebody come up to me the other day. We had taken our car uh, to get the oil changed, and they washed it while they were there. And I, I brought it home, and this guy pulls up. He's like, you got a new car. <laughs> nope, I washed it. Um, <laughs> the Montana paint job is gone. Um, well, but, <laughs> um, God literally pours the Spirit out on us and makes us brand new. 
Um, we become this new creation in Christ so that being justified by his grace, justified means made right before God by his grace, meaning like the free forgiveness we get because Jesus died for us, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Um, one of the most powerful things I've ever heard, my aunt died of cancer years ago. It was one of the hardest things I've ever experienced. I, 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 I remember sitting at the funeral, and she wrote a letter because she knew she was going to die, and she said, you are all sitting here crying right now. I'm in heaven because Jesus is my Savior. Jesus died for my sins. As broken as I've been the last few years with my health being wrong, I'm a new creation, and now I'm complete in heaven. Don't cry for me. Find Jesus. Like, like why did she say that? Because she had... Um, she had assurance, she had confidence that she was an heir to eternal life in Christ. Um, if we are in Christ, there is no condemnation, right? As far as the east is from the west, so far that God removes our sins from us. If you have a nasty, horrible secret that you think about when you go to bed at night, you know the one I'm talking about. God takes that sin and puts it so far away that it can never be brought up again. Grace and forgiveness is forever. Um, this is a trustworthy statement, meaning the last like eight verses that was one sentence. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful and engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. Paul writes out this long sentence, and it's, uh, you were once this way, now you're this way, and trust in it, and because it's true, live your life right. Not live your life right so you can earn it, but... Live your life right because you've been given this thing. Um, there's a, an episode of The Simpsons, I can't believe I'm going to talk about that, where, where the dad, he has this heart attack, and he has surgery. They think he's going to die, he has open heart surgery. And then he says, I'm going to live each day to the fullest because I almost died. I'm going to take every day as a gift. And then they cut to the credits, and he's watching bowling and eating pork rinds. <laughs> um, he didn't earn the new life. We, we don't earn new life. But once we have it, once we realize that it's true, once we realize that Jesus suffered and died for our sins so that we can be made brand new, we repeat it. We tell folks we're happy and proud of it. And from that point forward, right, from that point forward, we live like it's true. We live like we've gotten something worth having. We live like we appreciate the gift we've been given, right? Because the gift we've been given was very expensive to God. It cost him his son. Um, have confidence in the truth of it. Um, speak it often. Be, be new because it's true. Um, 9 to 11, this is the very end of this. Paul is dealing with teachers in this community. He says, But avoid foolish controversies and genealogy and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Um, I'm going to hit pause here. Within the church, do not fight. Right? Has anybody ever watched a church fight about something that didn't make any sense? Um, Frances isn't here, but she told me that when she first started coming to this church, there was arguing going on over the paint in the sanctuary. I, I don't know. That's what she told me, right? It may not be true, but Frances is pretty honest. <laughs> um, this stuff doesn't matter, right? Paul is saying, if it's true, if Jesus died for your sins, then look around you. These people are your brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Don't fight with them. Don't trash talk them. Love them as much as he loved them, right? And if you start seeing this, don't ignore it. 
Don't let people act wrong. If somebody says a nasty thing about somebody who's a member of my family, I'm going to say something, right? And Paul's response is reject any man who is factuous, meaning somebody who creates division. Don't allow folks to create division. It's not okay. After the first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned, meaning if folks are creating division, don't let them do it, right? It's not okay. We belong together because we're one in Christ. I only included these last verses because as the body of Christ, like everything we do is a reflection of this new life that we have, this grace, this forgiveness, this new life, and it's worth having. We're going to close in prayer, and we will um, eat lunch, which is awesome. Uh, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning. I pray those of us who are here who, who um, have heard the word today that, that they would recognize the great gift that they have in Christ, that they would recognize the new life and the regeneration and the new start they have, that literally being washed in your son's blood, that, that they've been made into new creations, that the old self is dead and a new one has come, Lord. Anybody here who, who does not know Christ and is not in this place where they're in in Christ's lordship, I pray that they would they would be moved and stirred in their heart, Lord, that they would know you, that they would come into a place where they're, they're um, recognizing that, that you've done so much to make them new. I pray that you would just act in a mighty way in, in the lives of everybody here, that we would show harmony and love uh, and kindness the way that, that Christ gives us an example. Um, amen. amen. I'm going to pray for the meal right away. Is that okay?